CDC is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. You're listening to The Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On The Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community. And subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible, and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Gomal Minhas, founder of CoreSpace, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit kaur.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. On today's show, we're talking to Katerina Rizzi. Katerina is a curator, maker, and a serial entrepreneur. Katerina prides herself on her ability to read trends, innovate products, and translate visions into viable strategies. Katerina is a passionate believer in human-centered design and has built her career by investing her energy into lofty goals and left-field ideas to create game-changing brands and experiences. Katerina is the co-founder of Breather, a Canadian leader in the sharing economy space. Breather not only rents spaces to those who need them, but curates these spaces with unique and creative designs and user experiences to create productive, connected, and accessible space for work to happen. Katerina launched Breather with her co-founder, Julian, in 2012, and the duo have since launched spaces in 10 cities worldwide, including New York, San Francisco, London, D.C., Chicago, Boston, L.A., Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto. Katerina's work has been recognized and praised by Dell, The New York Times, and CNN. Katerina is currently working on a new initiative called Hotline, which is a hybrid of a 411 and 911 for women entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show, Katerina. Thanks for having me. What 
a wonderful life you have lived. <laughs> Just reading through your bio and doing a bit of research in advance, I was so pumped to have you join us here on this show. So thank you for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I'd love to hear your wonderful origin story. So what got you into entrepreneurship in the first place? Uh, how did you end up becoming an entrepreneur? You know, I, I never actually had any aspiration to be an entrepreneur, um, although my mother had been telling me for years that I should start my own business. And I don't know why mothers are always right. It's ridiculous. <laughs> really I, I said she's like she's like an oracle. I don't know. Anyways. Um, but yeah, I never I never had any aspiration to do that. I'm just somebody who's really into uh, a passionate worker. Create. I love creative ideas. And breather was really that. Um you know, the story of Breather actually started like way back in 1998 when I first met my co-founder. Uh, we both worked at a now defunct department store. Uh, actually, we're talking on a Canadian podcast. The department store is Eaton's. We know what that ah, is here yes. in Canada when we were both teenagers. Um, so we had lo we lost touch after that and we didn't see each other for a good 10 years until we ran into each other on the street in like 2012. And my co-founder had the idea to create a quiet space and we'd go on to talk about it throughout the year until we decided to take the plunge and work on this like a full time gig. Um, I never I honestly never thought Breather would become what it has today. You know, I just thought that the idea had a lot of merit and it was just strange enough to work. That's remarkable. And and when you were about to take that leap, like what was your, what were you doing prior to jumping and going headfirst into breather? Um, I actually, yeah, my, I, I definitely, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, when you ask what their background is, it's like totally left field, right field. It just like bounces back and forth. I have a BFA in design it's, you know, I have a fine arts degree, basically, um, which is pretty funny for me when you think about how I've gotten to running a tech company. But, um, but I basically, I, I built my first career in retail, actually working for a big uh, Canadian retailer and leading a creative team for them uh, worldwide. Um, so I've always been into, I, my job has always been about curating space. I'm all about brick and mortar experiences. So it kind of flowed, my skills kind of flowed perfectly into building breather in the spaces and everything that you see there today. Wow. That's remarkable. And I would have to say that like your background in design has obviously paid off in strides in terms of the way that breather, the aesthetic and all of the different aspects of the design element. And you talk about human centered design, but this is so integral in how we innovate brick and mortars right now, especially with so much of our economy moving online. So it's such a valuable part of that. How has design played into um, how you guys curate the breather experience? <laughs> I mean, people, people want to exist in beautiful spaces and places, you know, like Instagram is a testament to that. <laughs> like, you know, like it's, um, but even more than that, curation is just so important because it differs completely from one space to another. The customer journey is very different from like a retail store to a restaurant and uh, curators are the ones that take every step in detail into consideration when designing a space, you know, in terms of office space uh, or workspaces, you know, people spend more waking hours in their office than they do at home. So to me, it's almost absurd that employers wouldn't create an environment for their people to be the most comfortable and productive as possible. And so when we were designing the breather spaces, you know, that it, it was very, very human centered design as a methodology because we really wanted to get to the heart of why people would be using the spaces and what they would be doing there. And can you tell us a little bit more about what human centered design is? I mean, it's it's basically um, 
instead of, you know, I, I, I speak sometimes to entrepreneurs that tell me about their great idea they have and what they're designing or creating. And, you know, I'll ask them, like, did you, so what kind of research did you do to, for your demographic? Like the, how do, how do we know people want this? And they don't really have a good answer for me sometimes. And for me, so, you know, human centered design is designing a product or a service with a deep, deep understanding of the people that you're you're creating it for. And without, without that, it's, you know, that is what informs the, the design of, of any kind of product or service without that you're, you know, what is it? Uh, egg before chicken, chicken before egg, you know, like it's just, it's just contrary if you do it any other way. So when you're looking and like when you guys started doing the research for breather and now hotline, like how do you put the human first? What kind of research do you do to make sure that you have that human centered design thought process in place? Well, for Breather, we, you know, at the beginning, we had a few user cases that we anticipated, like, um, you know, definitely consultants or people that work, um, you know, from home, but want somewhere to impress their clients when they have to have a client meeting or somebody who wants to take a pause in their day and, you know, or somebody that wants to have a quiet place to take a phone call. So like we basically started with those profiles and, and a deeper understanding of who that person would be, you know, like, uh, I like to create archetypes mm -hmm. for, um, for when I'm designing. So I can be like, this person has a name and a hair color and you know what I mean? And like, you try yes. to create as much as possible, try to envision who this human is and what they like to do in their spare time. And, uh, do they have a family or not? You know, like uh, how old are they? Yeah. Um, so that really helps you to inform what kind of, um, what they would want, what kind of mentality, what they expect, you know, what they, and what they do in their job or for what, whatever reason they're booking the space. So we, we basically did that. And then, found people that fit those profiles and interviewed them and asked them questions about if you were to have a space like this, you know, what would you do with it? Uh, how much would you be willing to pay for it? Uh, how far would you be willing to walk to get to it? Things like that. Such core parts of it. Oh, sorry, continue about Hotline. Oh, no, please. I'm sorry. No, yeah, with Hotline, I basically said, okay, so where do I start with this? I had an idea, right? It all starts with a light bulb. And I said, okay, well, going to approach it the same way. Like, who am I trying to build this for? What is, you know, what, what purpose is it going to serve? So put together the assumptions, go, I need to, for me, in this case with hotline, it's female founders I'm after. So connected with as many of them as possible, had focus groups with everybody in the room, went, you know, asked questions, got conversations going, got them to fill out forms afterwards with like, you know, a couple of questions. And they have basically, I mean, we'll get to this, I guess, but they've actually built the product. That's such an important step, I think, in building a business that so many founders are actually afraid of. Like, it's almost like they're afraid to actually find out what their customer wants because it's not what they think their customer wants. So how do you, how did you like just know instinctually that that was the way to go? Or, or like, did you ever, were you ever in your brain about like, what if they don't, what, what if they aren't into this idea at all? Was that ever a fear you had? I mean, I think any entrepreneur fears that like every day, basically. <laughs> yeah. like, I know I asked that and I'm like, I'm going to mask this as a question, but it's actually a very internal fear I have as a business owner. <laughs> yeah, no, you're like, you know, like even uh, like with anything, you're like, oh my God, what if nobody uses this? Everyone tells you they're super pumped for it. But it's, it's the same reason I always tell people to uh, get people's opinions that are not in their friend circle or families because they're going to just cheerlead you no matter what. And right. you want people that are going to be brutally honest with you and you know, luckily, like with Breather, for example, the early adopters are always the ones who are like, oh, I get this when no one else does. And they're the ones who are like, you know, 
this is great. I want it to, I want this to continue, but you need to fix these things, you know? Yes. So you've got to be really open to that feedback. And I, I actually love the haters. I love them because they're the ones who actually give you brutally honest feedback. So how do you like prep yourself to get brutally honest feedback? <laughs> I guess when you want it, like you actually want it. So like yeah. I want it, you know? So like for me, it's, it's, I don't really have to, I didn't really have to prep myself. I, I, I was looking for it. I wanted it. I wanted to address stuff. And, you know, that when with breather, which, you know, it's a concept that has never existed before, you know, so we, we didn't know what it was going to become. I don't think you ever know what your product's really going to become. You know, it's really people take it and use it and sort of tell you what to do with it. Um, so, you know, like when, if, if the experience wasn't like, hundred percent for somebody, the whole point is to be able to listen and take that feedback and make it and make like good on it, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so when you guys were building breather, how did you guys decide what the first location was going to be? The first location was actually in Notman House in Montreal, where our first investors who did our seed round, Real Ventures, um, their office is there and they wanted to have the first breather space. So that was our test, our first room, our first space where we tested, you know, all the all of the stuff out the app, the lock technology, the space, how it felt, how user friendly was it and whatnot. And that was the first space. But it was Montreal started. We launched a few spaces originally in Montreal because that's where uh, Breather's Canadian headquarters are, um, because we wanted to be able to use it as like a soft launch to be able to iron out all the kinks because our goal was to officially launch heavily in New York. And we said, we get one chance to do this right. And so we used uh, our own city and, you know, a lot of people that we know here to test the rooms, give us really brutally honest feedback and help us to bring it to that next step that we did once we launched in New York. So how did you go from that initial, like, how did you know that you wanted to scale so quickly? You knew that this was a concept that you wanted to scale and that could have uptick, um, not just in Montreal, but across the North American market. I mean, I think it, I think we knew that if we were going to do this, you know, like we had to have a roadmap of expansion and hit certain goals month over month. And, you know, we decided that was the kind of business we wanted to build. We wanted to build a hyper growth startup. Um, you know, I advise a lot of founders, you know, where I tell them, I said, you know, you have choices. You don't have to do it like this. I think, you know, with the dawn of all these very sexy startups that, you know, came out of the Valley, like it, it, for a long time, I think people thought that was the only way to do it. But, you know, I think people can have very thoughtful businesses, you know, with an expansion plan and a growth plan that is suited to what they want to build and what they see. Not every, not everybody has to grow in hyper growth, but it was our decision ultimately to, to do that. And what was the pitching process like? Did you have in mind the VCs that you were thinking of and, and who you ended up working with? I mean, like, like I said, it's like, you know, no one, we never decided to be entrepreneurs, right? So like when you start out in this, like nobody, you don't know what to do. You're learning, you're learning every day. So I don't think we were like, oh, here's this big list of people we want to talk to. You know, when we first started just pitching the idea, even to people that we knew, people thought we were lunatics. But, you know, especially now, I love to say it, it's the strange ideas that are the ones that are actually the great ones. You know, I said, if it's a normal idea, then anybody would think of it. Absolutely. So then, but when it came to, how'd you guys stumble upon your, your initial funder? That's a great question. God, I, God, I have to think back like seven years. 
I'm sure someone introed us. I mean, I can't honestly, I can't think of it off the top of our head. I'm, I'm assuming it was probably a warm intro of some sort. Yeah. And, and the pitching process for you, uh, how, what was that experience like? And the reason that I ask is because it's awesome that you guys got VC funding right out of the gate and that you wanted to go hyper growth, but we know the stats are often are stacked against female founders and, and against us in our favor. So you have very practical, tangible, successful advice for our audience to hear about, about that specific part of the process. So that's why I'm diving in here. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty transparent about this, you know, like my, uh, my, so my co-founder is male, which of course changes those stats then, right? right. Um, my co-founder is also probably like one of the best fa- like fundraisers I've ever seen. He wow. is a great speaker and he owned the fundraising for the business. And in turn, I built the internal company. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that credit, honestly, it goes to him. He, he was fantastic at pitching this idea and getting people on board with it and, uh, you know, just really getting people excited about it. And I think that speaks huge volumes to like the importance of partnership and finding the right partner. So how did you and Julian know, like you guys were ready to do this together? Cause it's essentially when you sign that business partnership or when you figure out your, or your ownership structure, like that's basically in some forms a marriage. Like when did you know that you guys could go all in and, and then was there any hesitation when you guys were building the partnership? I, I mean, I remember the day that we decided to, 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 go for it. I mean, I don't, I don't think, um, you know, I remember Julian going to me like, you know, this angel investor told me that if I want to do this, we need a team. And I said, I'll do it with you. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, and that was for us. I think think we had just built enough trust by that point with each other. And then, you know, as we start working together, you, you know what I mean? Like you, you start to learn more about each other, how, you know, how you work. You know what I mean? The good thing is, is Julian and I have very opposite skills, but we have the same drive and ambition. Mm. So, and we had a lot of trust in each other. So, you know, whatever we owned individually, like we, we had it, we, you know, I can say, I got this. Don't worry about it. Go focus on that. Yeah. You know, like, so like, so for example, the spaces, like I created the concept of, you know, the rooms that you see today and whatnot. So like, you know, that was my thing, you know, Julian was out there fundraising and getting a lot of traction. And, you know, then we started hiring, then we started, I started building the culture for the company and whatnot. So it was, it was good where our skills were complementary to each other. That's fantastic. And and I think such a, a great story to share about uh, what positive partnership can look like in building these things and finding someone who can support your skill set, but who is equally as passionate about the dream. Um, Cause I think that that's such a integral part of, of growing a company is who uh, are your people? Yeah. And even more so just past the founders, uh, something that I feel like nobody ever gives them enough credit. Your first employees, man. Oh my oh. God. The best. Like, <laughs> and nobody ever gives them the credit that they deserve. It's like, oh, you want to take this massive leap with me? Oh, wow. You're going to put your whole life on the line. Thank you. Yeah, no, I can, I can remember telling one of our employees who left a very, very good job. Um, and his parents thought he was insane. And I remember when we got our series A funding, I said to him, go call your parents and tell them you have a job for another year. Cause they were like, what are you doing? You know? And he was like, I really want to do this. I really believe in it. And he's one of the VPs of our company even today. Wow. I, that's fantastic. My, my first employee from five years ago with my previous company, she's still with me. And it's so remarkable to say, wow, like not only does this person believe in the vision of our company, but believes in me to be able to lead this ship for them. And I think that it's, it's like they say, there's that one video where this one guy is dancing at a festival and people are like, that guy's 
what is he doing? And then everyone starts going with him and it takes that first person to say, I'm going to dive in with you to, to make it work. So absolutely shout outs to early employees. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't thank them enough. <laughs> like, and I mean, all of them, honestly, that built, that really build breather every day. But, uh, I mean, I would just walk around the office sometimes looking at everybody going like, I can't believe this. Like, I can't believe this is our company. I can't believe we've come this far. I can't believe there's all these amazing people. I'd watch them all just in meetings through glass windows, you know, and go look at them. They're all just working on our idea. It's amazing. It's completely amazing. <laughs> That's so great. And when you're, when you guys were like, you had the Montreal breather and then did you guys, um, market to, was it directly to New York from there? Yeah, we did Montreal first. We did a few spaces in Montreal and I don't even know if we ever really intended to grow Montreal, but people kept booking the spaces. So we were like, why not? Let's just keep opening spaces then. Um, but New York, it just, it boomed like right away. And that's when I really realized, uh, how space is so sacred in cities like New York. And how many spaces do you guys now have in New York? Oh boy. Maybe 150. Wow. I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not sure of the exact number now. I mean, in total, we have over 500 spaces worldwide. That's remarkable. And, and in terms of getting from space one to 500, how did you find scaling into new markets? Um, What kind of infrastructure did you guys build internally to kind of figure out the cultures and fits of the different cities? Um, What did that process look like? Um, From a design perspective, we actually designed a different mood board for each city because we wanted everywhere to feel like a breather space and have that common thread through it. But we wanted them to feel unique to their own city. So like textures and colors would be different. Silhouettes of furniture would be different, but you know, you still always feel like you're in this really cool space and everything that's really productive, but they each had their own little personality from growing and scaling the business perspective. You know, it's like, um, it's like baking a cake, right? You got to find the right recipe. And then once you figure out that recipe, you just keep making that recipe. Absolutely. And so you guys really did nail down that recipe. I'm, I'm so, I'm so curious about that, that in between, um, I'm fascinated with how companies scale and, and the skills that you needed to employ to be able to go from one space to 500, were there resources, um, or, um, mentors that came on board for you as your skill set as a co-founder started to shift? Yeah. One thing that that struck me from the beginning was how many people were so generous with their time and knowledge with us from the right from the beginning. Um, so I know that my co-founder, my co-founder and I tried to pay that forward and embody that to as we grew when people would come to us with a, you know, a new business or whatnot and have some questions. So um, that kind of that really set the tone for me of how generous people were. And, you know, that's, that's why I really try to do it back. So, you know, like as much as I can for people, because I want to see people succeed and people wanted to see us succeed. And that was really great. And it takes the first like olive branch to be extended. You know what I mean? To show a good behavior to go, I want to be like that. I want to help people too. So we've had a, a lot of people and, you know, again, I can't, I can't say enough employees. You want to talk about people to help men? Like it's them. <laughs> they, they built it. It's their, it's their, you know, one of the things you get told, is to hire people that are smarter than you. And Absolutely. so that was, you know, something that we held in high regard with our, when hiring people. So like, these are brilliant people that helped us to build like our product, our vision and whatnot. Absolutely. And in terms of any resources or networks that you engaged with that our audience might be able to dive into themselves. You know, this is something that um, I've thought about a lot recently with Hotline and uh, realized I never 
we were just had our heads down, focused on the company. And there was never really any, we never, I never really took advantage of any resources out there. And now that I'm building hotline, I'm realizing how important it would have been for me to have that. And that's part of also what's driving me to build what I'm building because, because of the fact that I'm like, I did not realize how much better and more rich my life as an entrepreneur could have been had I had a, a, a brain trust around me. So perfect segue. Can you tell us a little bit about Hotline and both the inspiration for creating it and what exactly it is that you're building Hotline into? Sure. I mean, um, you know, um, Hotline's a peer-to-peer knowledge base for female entrepreneurs that like provides answers and resources to help like navigate through entrepreneur life. Um, you know, rarely, like I said before, rarely do entrepreneurs actually grow up in an entrepreneurial environment. You're basically a person with a light bulb idea and a desire to solve a pain point. And it's hard enough to hustle and try to do that without having to like simultaneously learn what like startup life is like. Fact. <laughs> so it really struck me one day when I was uh, meeting with a then new female founder that I advised, um, who was basically describing the same issues and asking the same questions that I hear all the time. And I realized, I said, you know, I get asked the same thing all the time. There has to be a better way to get everyone this information than them having to sit next to me. Mm-hmm. So I put together some assumptions and I started conducting focus groups with different female founders all over the country. And I used their feedback to draw insights into how to build the best tools to help everyone. So Hotline is essentially built from the inside out by Canadian female founders for Canadian female founders based on what we actually need in order to learn, grow and succeed, not what people think we need. Wow, that I am excited to explore it more because um, I do feel like this is a huge gap that needs to be filled and I'm grateful you're filling it. I, um, I wonder what are you finding are some of the trends in terms of the pain points that Canadian female entrepreneurs are experiencing across the country? Well, you know, the, the first thing is, is time, like how much time we have in a day, a week, whenever I want, I want to make everybody like for me, time is very valuable. And I look at time versus value for myself a lot. So, you know, for me, it's, you know, there's a lot of great initiatives out there for women and I'm thrilled about all of them and I support all of them. But I, I started to realize, you know, when you have, you have these crazy hours when you're a founder trying to build a company and I wanted to make sure that, um, women could spend the most amount of time with working, either working on their business or being with their friends and family. And so, you know, I'm not a big fan of networking. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of like an extroverted, like a anti-social extrovert. <laughs> like I want to, I'm really chatty and everything, but I only want to really want to speak to the people that, that I know, <laughs> like yeah. I don't like going to a room of strangers hoping to make some connections and it takes hours. Some people need to get a babysitter, get dressed up, this, that, and maybe you get something out of it. And God forbid you have to pay to go to it also. Right. Yeah. So I really believe that like all your money should be like any money you have should be for your business. And, um, that's one of the reasons my goal is to make hotline free. Absolutely. So, so time is a big one that you noticed across the board. Are there other pain points that came up for people uh, that you were interviewing and, and factored into how you guys are building the hotline? Well, basically, um, you know, uh, there's a, a couple of similar things that repeat all the time. You know, like one is like, you know, I'm I'm a founder. I'm a you know, I'm an entrepreneur, but none of, no one in my circle really understands what I do. So it's kind of lonely. You know, I don't know how anyone to talk to. There's one. Um a big one is, you know, I'm sick of being mansplained to. 
That is a huge one I hear a lot. Yes. Um, you know, and people are really reluctant to take feedback from someone who's never actually built their own business or been in their shoes. You know, you want you want to talk to someone who understands what you're going through. So part of my, you know, part of this initiative is to connect the whole, fe- uh, the whole female Canadian founder community together. At first, somebody was like, oh, are you going to do events? And I'm like, no, because that would not achieve that goal. Then I said, we need to, I want to do stuff online. I love person to person, like when, when it's like something really valuable, you know, like when you can talk and discuss in a very different way than you can online. But I said, we're not going to learn from each other and connect with each other if we're all siloed in our own cities. So, you know, there's, uh, there's that, that's a big pain point that they, that everyone feels, you know, lack of, um, curated, verified information. There's mm-hmm. so much information online. Somebody said it to me, they went, it wasn't all this information available on the internet. And I was like, yeah, sure. But do you want to go search through that? It's a, it's a minefield of long blog posts and this, that, and you don't even know really sometimes who's writing it. It could be some social media intern that told, got told to like write about this topic and went and researched it from a bunch of places that might not even be giving the proper, you know, information, you know? So it's much more valuable when you can ask one of your peers how, you know, I went through this. I know you did. Can you give me some tips of what I need to know? A big thing is like the way I like to call it is what they want to know what I wish I knew when I started breather, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, that's the big thing. Like what, and I write these, I write some stuff on different topics sometimes. And I write it in this snackable, like bullet point format of like, here's the stuff I wish I knew about company culture when I first started. Yeah. Like no one talks about that or writes about that. That's fantastic. So when, when someone's looking to use hotline and actually, first of all, whereabouts in the process are you guys with building it? Um, ideation now are like, how's the product dev going? Where are you guys at in the process? Exiting ideation, entering MVP zone. Okay. (laughs) Which is a fun zone, right? Like I find, I love it. I just put out an MVP for our, uh, uh, a, a part of our, our, our company. And it's the first time I've done an MVP because I was primarily in digital media before in a different way. And so I found it nerve wracking, um, to be like, Hey guys, here's the first iteration. Let's see what the uptake is. Let's figure this out. So how is that process for you of like that concept of fail fast, fail forward, or just get it out there. Done is better than perfect. How do you motivate your team to just be like, let's get something out to the market? Well, my team right now is only myself okay, good <laughs> and, to know. And, a mil- and a million female founders who are providing feedback and saying, how can I help? And yes, I'll do an AMA for you. Yes, I will brain dump all my knowledge about this into a document so that everybody can read it. Like everybody's basically the whole thing is it's, it's being built by all these women that w- want to extend that spirit of generosity to their peers. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's how it gets built, like, you know, in the actual framework of it. Yes. It's being built by actual people that can build websites and whatnot and, uh, data banks, but, um, the, the content, the really heart and soul of it is going to be written by all of us, which is lovely to think about. Um, and MVPs don't scare me. I'm, I, I can't wait for it to be there so I can go to all these women, like break it, tell me what's wrong with it. Tell me what's missing. <laughs> like, cause they, you know, it's not, the pressure is not as much there when you're building it to help people That's as opposed true. to try to sell a service or a product to somebody. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, they want to see it succeed. They want to be able to use it. They want to be able to 
to contribute to it. So, you know, it's, it's really just about fine tuning it so that it's as uh, helpful as possible for them. And what are you, Harry? And I love this because uh, a lot of the, I haven't had been able to dive in with an entrepreneur when they're in this specific phase of things. Um, the, the mindset behind, you know, the build and the financing. So what are your dreams for how you want it to be funded? I would actually really, uh, I'd like it to be a nonprofit. Okay. I do not want it. To, I do not want it to be for profit. That is for sure. Um, charity does not sound like the right word to me. It sounds almost insulting a little bit, <laughs> uh, but uh, nonprofit pretty much would sum it up properly. You know, it's, this is not about money and that's why I'm hesitant. Also, someone will be like your startup. I'm like, it's not a startup. It's, it's an initiative. It's yeah something, you know, like it's, it's, it's a, would you it's call a it a social enterprise? Yeah, I would be more like that would be the best way to describe it. You know, like yeah. it's it's really about an initiative to make change happen than a business per se. Um, I'd I'd really love uh, to. Go, I'm planning to go after government and corporate sponsorship. I think that I you know I feel like talk is cheap sometimes. Everybody's here saying they're supporting women. They're supporting women. I'm like less talk more action. Like you want to, you want to help women. They actually want this. Yes. It's not something you think they want. They want this. So help them then to have that and nurture it and support it. And you know what I mean? Like help it grow so that we have a real viable way to help female, female entrepreneurs. Like they're asking for this. Yes. And are you, are you still at breather while you're building this? Like this is happening on the side or is this what you're building now full time? This is what I'm building now full time. That's wonderful. So um, what I'm really curious about is, is this legacy piece. So you built Breather and were able to scale it incredibly. And now you get to really focus on adding value and impact to people's lives. So what are what legacy do you hope to leave through Hotline? And, and what is what is a motivator behind that? And I think I know the answer to this, but I'd love for you to share it with the audience. Oh, I'm like, tell me what you think. I'm like, no, okay. I, I what I what I want is to make a road more traveled for female entrepreneurs that are coming after me. I, I, I read this, it, this beautiful quote um, by and God help me if I say her name wrong, but Rupi Kaur. Yes, Hopefully I said that right. You, did. you got it Thank correct. God. Everyone always mispronounces my name through my whole life. So I'm so conscious. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, I'm very conscious of that. So um, I so a few months ago before I really started to work on this, my best friend is the COO of her startup. And she was I was trying to explain it, like articulate to her what I what I wanted, you know, what I wanted to achieve with this. And I couldn't really, uh, well enough because it was still kind of in my head stewing around. And then later that night after she left, I was sitting there reading Ruby Core's new book. And, um, there is a quote that I'm looking at right now. Cause it's now the signature in my email, um, in my email, uh, it's my email signature. It says basically, um, I stand on the sacrifices of a million women before me thinking, what can I do to make this mountain taller? So the women after me can see farther. Mm. And I took a screenshot, I sent it to her and I went, this, this is what I want. I just got full body chills. Well, I can't take credit for it, but everyone should go buy her books. Yes. Uh, so Rupi is actually a really wonderful friend of mine. And <gasps> really? Yes, yes. And so we sat on a panel together where we jammed on that exact 
pro- like that. I, I would dare, dare I say that it was, bef- it was before the sun and her flowers came out and we were talking about legacy and we were jamming on it. And when I saw that poem, it just reminded me of our conversation so much because that I think is literally like embodiment of the impact we can all strive to have. And the seeds we plant now, like we don't even know the impact that they can have not only for us, but for generations after us. And I think that's so remarkable. Well, you know, my mother, my mother is a very generous, selfless person. She does a lot of great things for a lot of people and doesn't ask anything back. So, you know, I like to think that she ingrained that into me, um, to want to help people. Um, and I, I don't actually, I don't even care where it comes from, but my mother definitely deserves credit. I just care that it's important to me. Mm. And so for me, it just, once, once I started to really dive into it and connect with all these different women in different cities. And I was like, this is so great speaking to my peers. And like I was saying before, I never realized how powerful having that connection and network around me would be. And everyone has been just so they're so into it. Everybody's like, how can I help? And I was like, this is wonderful. We're going to create something important for ourselves and for everyone coming after us. And that's so powerful to me. Absolutely. And I think our audience is going to be pumped when they have hotline as a resource that they get to use. So I'm excited for, for the MVP to be out for things to go from there and and for us to be able to uh, engage with it. And so I also like to dive in to some questions around well-being and and wellness with with our guests. Um, As we know, the entrepreneurship life can be very intense. It can be all consuming when you're in it and passionate about it and purpose driven. Like it can feel like it's the only thing you want to do. But as we know, there are certain parts of our lives that also deserve our attention. So how do you um, take care of yourself when you're building such important things, such valuable things to you? How do you maintain your energy? How do you stay well? Um, I, so I, I've, I had a burnout when I was 30 years old. That was before breather. Um, and so when we started working on breather. I knew what was in store for us. Well, actually I didn't know what was in store for us, but I knew it would be tough. (laughs) And, um, and I said, you know, I have to really be conscious of my, my well being and uh, make sure that, you know, I get enough rest that I'm not pushing it too much, you know, and that I, it's okay to say I need to stop right now and take a day off or something, you know, so I can come back fully recharged and work at the intensity I usually work at. Um, big thing that everybody's going to give up right away is exercise. And I don't like exercise, but I do it because it gives me endorphins and it keeps me healthy. Yes. (laughs) And and it keeps your sanity there also. And it's also a good time out where you can't be working at the same time. So exercise. And also there's the, the founder 15, like the freshman 15 for me, real. (laughs) for me, it was a founder 30. It was not 15. Like even my co-founder, the same thing. And it was because we, you're on these trips all the time. You're just going from meeting to meetings. You're eating whatever is in front of you. Um, you're just eating poorly as a general stance. So, you know, and then you, the first thing you're going to drop is exercise out of your schedule. Yeah. So that's, Number one, sleeping enough. I sleep a lot and because I need it because I'm on all day talking, engaged in things. So when I come home at night, I tend to sit very quietly by myself <laughs> and I do need a lot of quiet time in order to recharge. And I think, you know, for everybody, it's very different, but you have to you have to take the time to figure that out early on what you need. So and be and be unforgiving about it. 
You know what I mean? Like not let people lure you into going out really late if you have, you know, if you know you need like a good solid eight hours of sleep or else you don't function properly. So you, ha- you have to figure out what those things are that keeps you calm. And it could be a lot of different things. It just it doesn't have to be exercise and a lot of sleep. Some people I know exist on four hours of sleep a night and they're totally fine. You know, for them, it's probably other stuff. You know, it might be uh, having people to confide in and talk about your feelings with, you know, like there's a lot of stuff. And it's really, really tough being an entrepreneur. And um, it's not it's not easy, but it's a great experience, you know. And, you know, someone once told me that building a startup is like jumping off a cliff and learning to build the parachute on the way down. (laughs) Fact. I think that's a pretty accurate way to describe it. You know, the good thing is, is that there's always people willing to help you through your journey, you know, like, so it's just, it's not, I I got, I was interviewed for an interview. I was interviewed for an interview a few (laughs) weeks ago about about well-being specifically because of all these, um, these stories that are coming out of of founders who commit suicide or have drug problems and this, that, you know, and they're scared to talk about it because you're always have to put on this persona of everything's great. Right. And you fake it till you make it. And, um, you know, the whole point of that interview is the series is about people willing to share what the real life looks like and everything and not being scared to talk about that and still being able to say, yeah, I suffer from this, but I'm also really great at my job, you know, and I figure out a way to do that and I'm not perfect. Yeah. No one's perfect. They're lying if they say they are. And I think that that's something that in founder culture is especially important to debunk because we see so much of like the hustle nonsense online and, and go, go, go and self-sacrifice and all of these things. And I find that it can be unrelenting, especially when we are addicted to the scrolling. Um, oh, yeah. And that we actually need to turn off and need to give ourselves time to breathe, which is fitting that you called your space breathers, but um, (laughs) to just be. And so that we can create from a meaningful, well-intentioned whole place as entrepreneurs and business leaders. Um, So I really value that you're sharing that. And I'd love to know about the series that you were interviewed for, if we could share um, the name of it with our audience, unless it's not out yet, then. I know it's supposed to go live in May. So if, if, if there's some way we can print it, I'll ask the person's permission, you know, or maybe at the time that this, our podcast airs, it might already be live. So we'll, uh, we'll see then, but I know it's not live yet. They're compiling a bunch of interviews. Fantastic. Well, everyone keep an eye out for Katerina, uh, just give her a Google search in May and hopefully it'll, it'll pull up for you. Um, (laughs) but would you say that I myself has, have also experienced burnout both from overwork, but then also from, um, critical illness in my twenties. And I look back on those periods of time with both like, you know, that was hard and unfortunate and I wish it didn't happen, but also with some gratitude because it helped me establish boundaries and figure out that there are certain things I need that are not negotiable when it comes to work. Would you say that that burnout when you were 30 before starting Breather gave you some parameters to better know yourself jumping into the startup world? Oh, definitely. You know, I'm glad I had the experience like that career, you know what I mean? And all the things it brought me because, I mean, every step you take brings you to your next journey. Right. Um, But, you know, both my both my the career and the burnout led to thankfully, you know what I mean? It it led to um, creating breathers company culture with work life uh, balance in mind. Mm -hmm. So everything that we created, any benefits we gave or whatnot, they were all with employees being able to have a good work-life balance. Like if somebody needed to take their kid to the doctor, 
that's totally cool. Just don't miss your meetings. You know, like it's like you need to work from home. That's totally cool. Um, we paid for insurance, like the, everyone's health insurance, including the families, if they have them are paid for. Yeah. You know, like that was the kind of stuff that we thought was important. And like, for me, uh, getting someone's house clean, not important to me, like making sure that they're healthy and their families are healthy, like so important, like family first. So like, you know, that was the thing, like people, our, our employees are like warriors, man. They come to work sick and I'd be like, you need to go home. Like you're, <laughs> you're, you're going to feel so much better if you just sleep today instead, like just go. It's yeah. like, yeah, we got deadlines and we got to hit our deadlines and that's cool. But like, I don't, I don't want to look at people like suffering, <laughs> you know, like you to be a martyr like, for this, for this yeah, business. Like that's not I'm, what we're here for. Cause my previous, my previous career did not care about that. Yeah. And, and that's why I had a burnout. I was burning the candles at both ends, getting paid extremely poorly, but getting rewarded with all this experience. It was amazing, but it was ridiculous. It was unrealistic. Yeah. And I think like, that's actually a personal mission of mine is to just help more, um, young women as they're jumping into their careers, realize that you can pump the brakes throughout your career. Like you can keep a steady pace instead of that full throttle. So we don't all necessarily have to hit that wall, hit that burnout to learn that those key boundary lessons. But, um, it's a slow, slow go to ingrain that culturally, especially when we're such a work, work, work culture. So thank you for sharing your tips and and advice around that. We appreciate it so much. Um, no, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm more, I, I would say I'll, I'll be impressed more by the entrepreneur who doesn't have the burnout because they learned how to manage it. You know, like yeah. having a burnout is not a, a war scar, you know, like that you should be proud of. of honor. No. Yeah. No, not at all. No, I'm not. impressed by the people that figured out how not, that not to let that happen. Absolutely. And I think those are more of the stories we, we can and should be sharing. And so, exactly, yes. So, and also cautionary tale listeners, let's avoid burnout together. <laughs> like let's be well and prioritize yourselves, be healthy, be yeah. well. And I would love to hear from you, Katerina, about the role of community in keeping you healthy, happy, and, and well throughout your entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey. Um, you know, I, I'm really lucky because my circle of friends um, they exist, if not already in startup world, they're somewhere around that ecosystem. So I could talk about the things that were bothering me or something going on at work with them understanding. They didn't look at me like I grew a second head, you know, like, so that I'm lucky about that. That's not the case for everybody. Um, I usually encourage people to like create your brain trust, your circle of people like right away, because it, like, I didn't realize that how important that was because I had it. So I didn't realize what I would be, what would happen if I didn't have that. So a lot of, you know, entrepreneurship can be really lonely because nobody gets what you do. So, um, it's, it's really, it's, I didn't have any like female founder mentors, which I wish I would have now, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, cause I don't even, I don't, I don't even think I knew if there was any other female founders out there. Now I know there's hundreds and hundreds of them just in Canada. I mean, yeah. Um, and that's fantastic. And that's exactly what's driving me to really connect everybody. Cause I'm like, you should all know each other. It is so important. You will feel so much better being able to talk to your peers and having people really understand you like deeply of what you're going through right now. There's nothing like better than just knowing that you can call someone or sit down with someone or text someone who just gets it. Yeah. And so I can't, again, can't wait for hotline to be available for, for that to be a community we can engage with, but also a reminder to our listeners that like, 
you can find those people like they exist. They're out there and, and we're so hyper connected now, like find, find your people and lean on them because as much as we don't like to ask for help, we gotta. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if you're a woman founder listening, I'll find them for you. Like no problem. <laughs> just, <laughs> yes. just let me know. I'm like, I will connect you. <laughs> um, so Katarina, we got to wrap it up for today, but there's a question that I ask all of our guests uh, to wrap up our, our interviews. And that is what advice do you have for our listeners so that they can thrive both, both in their business and their life? I mean, I think we touched on most of it uh, throughout our conversation, you know, like uh, surround yourself with a brain trust. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Be really good at managing your time and unforgiving about it. The boundaries are really important. Remember to exercise for both your health and your sanity. And, you know, like that's that's really the the biggest things that work for me. And I think they're really important, like core to to live by. So then you like I said, you keep keep your focus, keep your energy keep your positivity, even though it's hard sometimes. I think it's, uh, it's the best like recipe basically for uh, succeeding. And I lied. That wasn't the last question. This is the last question. Oh, what's the last um, question? <laughs> you inspired me to ask this is like, what makes you hopeful and what are you most excited about for the future of female entrepreneurs in this country? Um, as honestly, as I've been building my list of female entrepreneurs, the more people I speak to, I go intro me. And so many people intro me to women that are not on my list yet. And I just realized, I said, I thought there might be a few hundred. Now I'm like, really, I'm really empowered and delighted and hopeful about how many are really out there and actually finding like, I might have a, like, I have a, I have a challenge out of myself to like complete the list. You know what I mean? Oh like, but it really will never be completed. There will always be somebody new emerging. You know, it's like they said, if um, like the population of China, like it will never end. Like they can circle the globe. Like if they were to walk around the globe, it would just never end because yes. so many babies are being born. Wow. Like the population grows so fast. So like, that's my hope, but I'm like, it would be such an achievement to be like, these are the women of Canada. Like that's, really exciting to me, <laughs> like that, how many more women we can inspire and, um, for them to be able to see themselves and other people that have come before them and realize that they can do it too. You know, like that's the, that's the stuff that makes me hopeful. That's the stuff I wish to see. And I mean, can Canada as a culture is just such a great culture. You know what I mean? I think, uh, I think it will happen and people are so, um, welcoming in, in this country that I think we could do it here too. Absolutely. And thank you so much, uh, Katerina, for helping uh, guide that way and helping bring us even closer together. And thank you for being on the Thrive Podcast. We loved having you on today. Oh, I loved being here. This is such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC and Scotiabank for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook resources for women entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. Make sure to visit CoreSpace, K-A-U-R dot space to learn to better integrate work, wellness and impact into your everyday life. Until next time, I'm Gomal Minhas. It's time to thrive.